0: You know, one of the things that Sydney and I are constantly reminded of as we watch our three boys just grow up is that... Our boys have been hardwired for action. You know, they don't, they don't like to sit around and just watch things happen. They don't want to watch a fireworks show. They want to shoot fireworks. They want to blow stuff up. You know, they don't want to talk about baseball. They want to play baseball. In this quarantine, we've been just watching tons of survival shows with Bear Grylls. I don't know if you watch any of those Bear Grylls shows, but my boys don't want to just watch Bear Grylls. They want to be Bear Grylls. They want to take action. So the other day, I look out our back window and I see my eight-year-old son, Jack. He's in his underwear with a rope wrapped three times around his waist and tied up in a tree. He's swinging, trying to repel from this tree. And I'm like, man, our neighbors are going to call DCS on us. You know, They're going to look out and see all this unfolding. And we're just constantly reminded as we watch our boys that, that they aren't wired to just talk about something or think about something or study something. They actually want to try that something. They're geared for action. And Every time I watch them, I'm reminded that it's not just them, it's me, and it's it's you. Like, this is us as humanity, that there's something in us that begins to come alive when we move from just thinking about something to actually trying it, just talking about it, to actually stepping into it with action. And, you know, in fact, marketers and economists, they've given a term to this over the last decade or so, they call it the experience economy. Because companies began to realize that there's a lot of money to be made if they can tap in, not just in your ability to to learn something or to see something or to consume something, but if they can tap into your desire to experience something. There is something— in you, I believe it's been put there by God, where you don't—you are not created to sit on the sidelines of life and watch somebody else step in, somebody else go after it. You were created by God to be in on the action. It's what I love about my boys. It's what I love about our church. I've been reflecting on this, you know, over the last several weeks in the midst of all the stuff we've gone through together over the last several months, whether it was the tornadoes or the power outages or this uh, COVID pandemic or uh, some of the racial. Uh, tension and inequity that we've been experiencing here in our city. Whatever it is, whatever the case, I see this over and over in you as a church family. There's this longing to be in on the action. We've never been a church that's just a spiritual book club. We've we've never gotten together and just said, hey, let's just talk about this or celebrate this or think about this. Like, we have been created by God to be in on the action. And so when I think about you, Ethos Church, I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, where Paul says, the kingdom of God is not just a thing that we find in words or in talk, but we actually find it in power and in action. Or I think about the words in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, where, where John says, whoever claims to live in Jesus actually needs to live like Jesus lives. In other words, this Christianity thing, this thing that we're a part of, this movement that we've been brought into together that started before us and will go on beyond us, it's not just something designed to engage your mind or your heart or your thoughts. It's designed to engage your life. Like there's this, there's this action-oriented component that we've been called to move from the sidelines into the reality. And so when I think about our boys or when I think about our church and I have to think about this season that we're in, I go, man, you know that God's been calling us to action. And yet sometimes the challenge in moments like this that we're in is, okay, but what action is God calling us to take? I think about a conversation I had earlier this week with one of my friends from our church. We sat down and I just felt kind of that stirring from Psalm 11 in him, you know, where David in Psalm 11 says, Lord, when the world is shaking, what are righteous people supposed to do about it? And I was, I was talking with my friend and the whole conversation just summed up so many conversations I've had with people in our church over the last several weeks, like in the midst of all that's going on, like what is God inviting us to do about it? Like, like what's the action, that God's inviting us to step into. And I don't know where you come to this conversation this morning. Maybe you're coming to this conversation from a place of apathy. Maybe you're so overwhelmed by everything that's coming at you. The only thing you know to do is disengage. Maybe you're coming to this conversation this morning from a place of anxiety where there's just fear. You're overwhelmed. You're almost paralyzed. You don't know which way to move because everybody's telling you which way to move, what to do. Or maybe you come to this conversation this morning from a place of anger. You just feel this this pressure, and you. you see what's happening in the world, and you go, I don't know what to do about it, but I know I'm angry. And here, here's what I want you to hear this morning. Wherever you come to this moment from, wherever you start, I believe that Jesus wants to meet you right there, and He wants to gently walk you towards a place of gospel action. That the heartbeat of following Jesus is not just to think rightly or to feel rightly, it's to move with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and what God has made you for. And so this morning, that's a question I want us to explore in the midst of these crazy, chaotic, uncertain times. What does it look like to allow God God to move us towards gospel action. Like, What does that journey actually look like? And we're going to do that this morning from the story of a man named Nehemiah. Now, here's what you need to know about Nehemiah. This is a historical story that we're looking at. This isn't a parable. It's not a fable. It's not something that was made up to give you a spiritual principle. Uh, literally, the Lord peels back the layers on a very real man's life at a r- very real moment in time. It takes place 450 years before Jesus entered into the earth as a human being. In the modern-day country of Iran. Then it was known as uh, the, 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 the Persian Empire. And so this story takes place 450 years before Jesus uh, in, in the Middle East when they were at the height of their power during those days. And here's what I love about this story is, is the story kind of zooms into the life of this one guy, a guy named Nehemiah, and it begins to show us how God loves to use a guy, how he loves to show up in a person's life in a place of comfort, He shows up in a moment where they don't expect it, and then God begins to invite them into the type of action that won't just change their life or their family or their friends, but will actually benefit the entire nation. And so it's this this picture of how God often engages us, not always engages us, but how he often engages us to move us from apathy or anger or anxiety into this place of gospel action. And so if you take notes this morning, there's several observations, just three observations that I I, kind of want us to wrestle with. And I just want to say this on the front end, kind of a spoiler alert. I'm not going to give you three things that you have to do at the end of this sermon to take gospel action, to bring gospel reconciliation. More than anything, I'm going, how do we as a church put ourselves in a place to really live with the framework that will allow Jesus to speak into your life in real time so he can use you in real ways to bring real healing in this moment that we find ourselves in? And so that's kind of where we're going to go this morning. We're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I want to read this and then... We'll look at a few things together. It says, these are the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev. That's December. So, here we are in the Middle East in December in the 20th year. He says, while I was in the citadel of Susa. And so, here he is in the most powerful country on earth, in the most powerful place, like right there in the palace. Verse 2. He says, then Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and I asked them also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. Listen to this, verse four. He said, and when I heard these things, I sat down and wept, and for some days I mourned. I don't know if you're taking notes, but the first observation I want you to notice about the way that God so often moves us from apathy or anger or anxiety into this place of action, this often begins by God breaking our hearts for the thing that break his. And so if you take notes, how does God begin to move us towards action? It often starts in this place of the broken heart. Now, here's what's so interesting to me about the story of Nehemiah. Here he is in this place of comfort. He's there in the palace and his, his brother shows up and he begins to ask his brother about what had happened in Jerusalem, about the condition of the people, about the condition of the city. And his brother begins to give him this report about the events that had actually taken place 150 years earlier. And so it's a crazy scene when you really think about this. I don't know if you kind of know the history or, or, or the biblical moment that's unfolding, but 150 years before the book of Nehemiah took place, Uh, the country of Babylon came into Jerusalem. uh, They came against the people of God. They tore down the walls. They burned the temple. They deported the rich and the able-bodied and the smartest uh, and the wealthiest and and the most well-to-do people in Jerusalem. They deported them to Babylon, and they left behind just a small remnant of people that were absolutely crushed by the warfare that had come their way. And so, for 150 years, there were a group of people that were just living in this diminished reality of what had been left behind, the brokenness of war. And so, uh, Nehemiah's brother shows up, and he begins to ask, hey, 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 tell me, what's the condition of the people that have been left in this place of hardship for 150 years? And he begins to tell them the information that, in theory, he already knew. But it says that Nehemiah's response was really kind of unusual. He hears this news, and he falls down, and he begins to weep. You know, it'd be like somebody showing up at your work and telling you the story of Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln being executed and, or assassinated, and you falling on your knees and weeping for days in front of your employees, and they're going, wait, why are, that, that's old news. But here's what's so interesting to me, and this is one of the ways that you notice God is often at work. God begins to bring about new tears in a person's life over old news. The news was old, but the tears were new. Like, this, this situation had been going on for 150 years— and God begins to catch Nehemiah up to the reality of what had been going on for these people, what God had noticed, what God had seen. And all of a sudden, he begins to cry new tears over this, this old pain, over this old moment. And this is one of the ways that you and I begin to experience the hand of God, the life of God in real time, in real places, is he begins to break our heart in fresh ways, sometimes over things that have been going on for a really long time. Think about the way that this happened when God first started putting the calling of starting ethos on, on our heart years ago. God began to break our heart for the spiritual condition of some of our friends and family members, people we'd known for a long time. We knew they weren't walking with God, but all of a sudden, Sydney and I found ourselves crying tears, new tears, over an old reality. See, here's the reality is, is I'm convinced in this season of chaos and upheaval and uncertainty, God wants to work through you. But before God wants to work through you, he wants to work in you. And a lot of times, the way that God begins to work in us, as he's moving us from apathy or anger or anxiety into this place of action, it starts as he reaches in and he begins to break our heart for the things that break his. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't like crying. I don't like grief. I don't like lament. You know, my friends love to kind of make fun of me for this. They say every few minutes I like to make a joke and uh, whether that's good or not, those of you that are counselors, you can like diagnose me, you know, from your couch right now and uh, send me in a message. Let me know what's wrong with me. But you know, I, I, I've never enjoyed engaging sad things. You know, sometimes on a date with Sydney, uh, she'll pick out the movie and she's like, I just need to pick out a sad movie. I need a good cry. And I'm like, what What is a good cry? I've never experienced a good cry. Like I don't enjoy that. And so sometimes she and I will be watching a movie and I'll feel that thing inside of me where I wanna cry. I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you're sitting there. and Here's what I do, this is probably pretty unhealthy, but the moment I begin to feel that desire to cry, I actually begin to mentally disassociate. I disengage. I think about something different because I go, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. And, and guys, sometimes it's our, our tendency as humanity. God will begin to, to peel back the blinders. He'll begin to show us things. He'll begin to break our heart. And there's this, there's this tem- temptation to say, man, I just got to look away. But this is actually the work of God. And so often in the kingdom of God, before God will give you your kingdom purpose, he will allow you to feel the pain and the heartbreak of seeing humanity for what it really is. That God doesn't just bring you into his work, he actually lets you in on his heart. That so often in the kingdom, pain will come before purpose. That pain will actually be the fuel that God will use to bring about great change in the world. I think about uh, one of these Dear women uh, that I knew when I was in high school, she was my Spanish teacher, just beloved by our whole school. And my senior year, her son was my age, and for as long as I'd known him, he had suffered with addiction and uh, a lot of bad choices for a variety of reasons. But our senior year, um, one night, he got behind the wheel of his car after drinking too much with several of his friends, all who were seniors in my graduating class, and he wrecked his car and, and everybody died. It was just this tragic moment for our senior class. And I remember his mom was my teacher at the time, and I just remember watching this woman come face to face with the grief of a broken world, the pain of a broken world. And really for the next several years, she was just a shell of herself. In fact, people around her, there was kind of this moment where her grief for everybody around her became really uncomfortable. People didn't know what to do with it. They wanted her to kind of get beyond it. And I remember she was like, hey, you, can't, you cannot make me microwave my grief. I've got to sit in this. I've got to feel this. And here we are almost 20 years later, and God has brought redemption there. God has used her to, to comfort parents that have lost kids. God has used her to start a ministry, to work with teens that are kind of going down that path of addiction. And God has used her to bring about great kingdom purposes. But here's the reality. Those kingdom purposes only came on the other side of a broken heart. And I think the reality is a lot of times we want God to work through us, but we're not comfortable with the type of God's— we're not comfortable with the the work that God wants to do in us because so often it starts in this place of the broken heart. And church, we just need to hear this as so many people in our nation are experiencing grief right now, is that the moment the church begins to disassociate itself from grief, we actually cut ourselves off from the work of God. As a church, if we're not comfortable— with the grief of the world. If we're not comfortable with pain, it says that God is near the brokenhearted. And if we want to be near to God in moments like this, we open ourselves up to the work of the broken heart. So this is how it often begins. God shows up here, Nehemiah is in this place of comfort. He's there kind of in the middle of just minding his own business, and God begins to break his heart. Old news brings about fresh tears. It starts in this place of the broken heart, but it doesn't stay there. Second thing, if you take notes, is it's not just that God breaks his heart, it's secondly, God begins to ground his life. He begins to ground his life in both humility and hope. That when God begins to move us to this place of gospel action, it starts with the heart, but then all of a sudden he begins to to ground our lives in this place of humility and action. Look back at verse four. Look what Nehemiah does with his broken heart. He says, for some days I mourned, I sat in it, I wept. We don't know how long that went on. But he sat there in that pain. He says, and then I took that broken heart. Look what he does with it, verse four. He says, then I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. He doesn't just take his broken heart to his online community. He doesn't just take it to his friends. He brings that broken heart into the presence of God. And this is what begins to happen there. God begins to ground Nehemiah's life in both humility and hope. Look at verse five. He said, I began to pray, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that he's praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. This is so This is so huge, guys. Look at this. He says, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. So there's this moment. Nehemiah brings this broken heart into the presence of God, and God begins to ground Nehemiah, first and foremost, in this place of humility, Nehemiah doesn't march into the presence of God, put his arm metaphorically around God's shoulder and says, hey, the world's messed up, God. What do you want to do about it? He doesn't stand with God like an equal. He he comes in the presence of God, and immediately he begins to just name the reality that he is a part of the problem in the world. He begins to name his father's sin, his people's sins, his nation's sins, and his own personal sins. And guys, this is one of the the tensions that I felt in this, this season where I look at followers of Jesus that have been slow to just acknowledge the way that we've contributed to the pain of the culture around us. I go, guys, as followers of Jesus, it should be easiest for us to acknowledge our sin in the world. It should be the easiest. Because we know, we we know that we're not perfect. That's, that's, that's not the call on our lives. We know that it is only through the work of Jesus that we've been made right with God. And so this is this moment where we don't just come to the culture of the broken heart, we come to the culture grounded in this reality of humility. Guys, anywhere where God is at work in the world, I would argue that underneath it you will see this stream of humility, this undercurrent of humility. If you want to know where God's at work in the world, world look for humility. It's what you saw in Jesus. It says he humbled himself, he let go of his rights, he let go of his privilege, he let go of his power, and he came down, he washed feet, he served, he handed his, his life over. Humility is the hallmark of a person, not just with a broken heart, but a person that's been grounded in God for gospel action. But I love it. It's not just humility. Nehemiah keeps praying, and you're going to see that God is going to ground him also in hope. Look at this in verse 8. He says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. I love verse 9. He says, but, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there. I will bring them to the place where I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you've redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And so there's this moment where, where Nehemiah, you know, his heart has been broken by God. God is beginning to ground him, not just in humility, but all of a sudden you begin to see this hope is stirring up in Nehemiah, where he's confessed his sins, and he says, but God, remember what you said. Like, I love this, because Nehemiah speaks to God the way my boys speak to Sydney and I. They're like, hey, Dad, remember you said we could have ice cream tonight? Like, hey, Dad, remember you said we could stay up late? Like, one of the things I'm learning as a parent is Don't even whisper the idea of something good unless you know it can happen, because my boys will remember it forever. Hey, Dad, remember what you said. Remember what you said. I love this, because you see Nehemiah operating not just out of this place of humility, but out of hope. Like, coursing through Nehemiah's veins was this deep belief that God was better at restoring humanity than humanity is at destroying each other. Like deep within him, he believed that God was better at restoring than we are at destroying. There's this fuel of humility and hope that was grounding Nehemiah's life in the task that God was getting ready to send him into. And I see this right now in so much of what's happening in the world. There's this utter lack of humility in so much of it. And there's this utter lack of hope in a lot of it. And God's inviting us as his children to humble ourselves, to, to acknowledge our sin, and at the same time to believe that God is better at restoring than humanity is at destroying. You know, it, here's the reality, guys. Anytime you see a church that has given up on the culture around it, anytime you see a church that has given up on a people group or, or given up on a person, ultimately you're not seeing a church that has given up on people. You're seeing a church that has given up on God. The church is saying, God... These people are beyond your reconciling power. The situation is beyond your healing hand. And the moment we begin to lose sight of hope, guys, we actually lose sight of the God that's calling us into all of this. And so Nehemiah, from this place of comfort, God begins to break his heart, and then he brings that broken heart into the presence of God. Secondly, and God begins to ground him in humility and hope. And then last but not least, it's from that place of brokenheartedness, it's from that place of being grounded in humility and hope that God is going to send him out into courageous action. If you take notes, kind of that third thing is that God, from that place, sends him into courageous action. I love this. Look at verse 11. He says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer of the king. And so, in other words, there's this moment where Nehemiah realizes... You know, there's a time and place to grieve, there's a time and place to get into the secret place with God, and then there's a moment to move from your knees to your feet, to move from the palace to the people, to move from that place of pain into the purposes that God has put in your life. And there's a moment where when you're following Jesus, talk will become action. And Nehemiah goes, I don't exactly know what it looks like. But God begins to give him this clarity and this courage to step into this. And he stands up. And if you go on and you read the the rest of Nehemiah, it's it's so beautiful. I'd encourage you to read it this week. What you see is Nehemiah, he gets sent out by God, and he, he takes action really kind of in three different realms. He takes spiritual action. He calls the people to repentance, to prayer, to confession, to fasting, to get back to the Word of God. He realizes that part of their nation's challenge was a spiritual challenge. But he doesn't just take spiritual action he also takes social action and so he realizes that part of the challenge they were experiencing was interpersonal so he begins to call people together and get them together across different barriers and boundaries so they can do life together but he knew that it wasn't just spiritual and it wasn't just social it was also systemic Nehemiah realized that there were things that had been at work for hundred and fifty years that we're keeping that, the people in that place of pain that they've been in for a long time. And he said, he said, being a man of God means that I don't just engage the spiritual and I don't just engage the social, but I engage the systemic. And Nehemiah allows the Lord to lead him into the midst of all of it. But I love this journey that he goes on. And I think the journey is so important for us as followers of Jesus in the midst of this moment that we're in. Nehemiah was there in this place of inaction. God breaks his heart. God grounds his life, and then God sends him out to be a part of the thing that God is doing in the world right then and right there. And th- this has been my journey. You know, I've, I've shared this with you many times over the years. So often I'll notice when God begins to call me into something, he starts by just breaking my heart over something that I used to be um, just totally oblivious to. He begins to stir something in me. I remember years ago, I was, I was grieving just the spiritual condition of some things that were going on in our city. In fact, some of my closest friends, they kept saying, Dave, I think you're going through a season of spiritual depression. I just felt just low. I didn't know what to do about it. And so I remember one morning, I'd woken up early, And I was just sharing those things with God. And I'll never forget, the the Spirit of God just whispered to my heart. He said, Dave, I want you to study the cycles of grief. And so I kind of remembered that vaguely from, you know, my freshman year psychology class. And so I got on Google and looked up the stages of grief. And at least the article that I found pointed me to five stages. Stage one is denial. You deny anything's going wrong. Stage two is anger. You now recognize that something's going on and you're mad about it. Stage three is this place of control where you go, man, I've lost before, and I don't ever want to lose again. Stage four is anger, or is depression, and then stage five is acceptance. And so I'm, I'm studying these cycles of grief with the Holy Spirit that morning, and I'll never forget the Lord just said to me, he said, Dave, in the kingdom of God, grief works to a different end than it does in the world. In the world, it goes from denial to acceptance. He says, but in the kingdom of God, it goes from denial to activation. The Lord said, I broke your heart so I can use it. Guys, I don't know about you, but I struggle to trust. I struggle to trust leaders who are trying to do great things for God, but their heart has not first been broken by God himself. And what I see going on in our church, what I see happening in our nation, is I see the breaking of our hearts. I see God stirring something in us. I see God moving in us. I see the grounding work of God so we don't just operate hastily, but we step into things that God has called us to with both humility and hope. And I see God beginning to illuminate some ways, not just for us to affirm reconciliation or to celebrate reconciliation, to talk about justice, to cheer for justice, but to live for it in ways that bring honor and glory to God. See guys, God, God did not make you to sit on the sidelines of the kingdom and to cheer other people on. And I think in moments like this, it's really easy to find ourselves being driven to one of two extremes. You can get really overwhelmed by everything that's happening in the world, And you can kind of go to this place where you try to hide in the palace. You try to to hide from the pain of everything going on around you. You insulate yourselves from pain. You insulate yourselves from what's going on. And, And guys, you weren't made for that. You weren't made to live in that little shell. God put you on earth for such a time as this to bring about the kingdom of God. It's amazing. It's why you're breathing today, whether you know that or not. But some of us were driven to that place of isolation. Some of us were driven to the other place where we don't become inactive, but we become really active, but maybe sometimes in ways that aren't helpful. And some of you in this season, you've been tempted to say something online that you're not living out in your life, to share something on Twitter that you're not living out around your dining room table. You've been tempted to point the finger at an injustice, to, to point the finger at a system, but to never stop and just deal with what you've actually been a part of. And culture is gonna try to push us in one side or the other, because it knows either way, you know, the enemy knows either way, we become ineffective for the kingdom. See, the Lord has more for you than that. And just like Nehemiah was just sitting there, all of a sudden God begins to remove the blinders, God begins to break the heart, God begins to ground the life, then God sends him out in action. I believe that God wants to do the same in you. because Nehemiah, he was just a taste test of the better leader that was to come 450 years later in Jesus. Jesus, who was sitting in that place of perfect comfort, of perfect power, was driven by the love of God, as John 3.16 says, into the world. And Jesus didn't come at a distance. It says that he showed up. The prophet Isaiah is gonna say that he was a man that was well acquainted with sorrow. In other words, Jesus showed up and he didn't engage the pain of the world uh, from a distance. He had engaged it with his heart and with his life. It says when he saw the spiritual condition of the people, it says he wept over the city of Jerusalem. That Jesus watered the earth with his tears for the sake of humanity. But it didn't stop in the place of grief. Jesus grounded in the humility of a servant king walking in the hope of a coming kingdom. Walked to the cross, said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He stretched out his arms. He took the action that made sense to nobody else, and God used that as the thing that kicked open the door so that reconciliation could happen, not only between humanity and God, but between us and each other. I go, guys, look how far Jesus was willing to go to bring about your well-being and the well-being of the people around you. And it's what servants of Jesus have been invited into ever since. And sometimes we're sitting here and there's this like angst in us like man we got to take action we got to do something absolutely absolutely but we want to take the action that Jesus has called us to and I don't know I don't know where you find yourself this morning maybe you're in this place of the broken heart maybe maybe you just need to sit before the Lord this week and say, hey, hey, God, would you break my heart for what breaks your heart? I know that feels like a scary prayer. I'm just telling you, you can trust your heart with God. Or for some of you, maybe in this season, you've experienced the breaking of your heart. And there's this temptation to move through the grief quickly, to disassociate and try to get to action. I say, man, just sit there with Jesus until he gives you the green light to move forward. It's okay to feel it. It's okay to wrestle with it. For some of you, the action you need to take this week is in the place of the broken heart. For some of you, The action you need to take this week is really allowing the Lord to ground your life before you charge the hill. (laughs) For some of you, it might be in the place of humility. Maybe maybe you've been pointing a lot of fingers. Maybe you've been speaking with a a, a lot of anger and angst and maybe even some ungodly motives. And maybe what you need the Lord to do in your life, hey, Lord, would you just humble me? Would you just help me to walk in humility as your child for some you, that's where you need to be grounded? Maybe some of you, you've had your heart broken. Maybe you've been walking with your face to the ground before the Lord, and maybe you're struggling with hope. Maybe over the last couple of months, you've grown cynical and jaded, and, and you look at everything and go, man, there's no coming back from this. And maybe you just need to sit in the presence of the Lord this week and say, hey, Lord, I need you to fill me with your hope. I need you to remind me that you are better at restoring than we are destroying. God, use us. Maybe that's your action. Maybe it's in the place of broken heart. Maybe it's in the place of being grounded. Or maybe God is beginning to give you courage and clarity about what action you need to take. Guys, I don't know what that's gonna look like for each of us. You know, the Lord may begin tapping you on the shoulder and say, hey, I want you to make a friendship with this person that doesn't look like you. We may say, I want you to move into a different part of the city, or here's an organization I want you to come alongside of, or here's a way that I want you to use your voice or your influence, or hey, I want you to shut your mouth for a year and just listen to other people's stories. The action that God may call you to may look different than the action he calls me to, or the action he calls your spouse or your roommates to. Uh, Think about how beautiful this would be as followers of Jesus if we said, hey, Lord, you're the only one on planet Earth that knows how to fix the mess we find ourselves in. And so here's what we're gonna let you do. We're gonna get in your presence. We're gonna let you take over our heart. We're gonna let you ground our lives. And then whatever you tell us to do, we will do it. And like Nehemiah, even if there's a little bit of fear and trembling, we'll say, hey Lord, as I step into this, would you be with me in the midst of all of it? I believe that's where we're gonna see the Lord work. Here's what I love is every week as we take the communion together, we break the bread and we take the cup, as we hold the bread and we hold the cup, we're reminded that Jesus, went all the way to the end of Himself to bring about reconciliation. That He didn't stop short, that He came all the way. And then He turns and He looks at you and He looks at me, He says, whoever wants to find their life has to lose it. Whoever wants to follow me has to pick up this cross and, and, and go on this journey. And so this, this work of reconciliation that God's inviting us to in, in the world, it's not gonna happen if we keep retaining and holding on to our rights. And, and, and what's owed to us, it only comes if we say, hey, Lord, let's lay that down, let's put that in your hands, and we're gonna follow you, just as you came all the way uh, to love us. And so let me pray over you as you get ready to take communion. Father, I love you. Lord, I thank you for who you are and for what you're doing in the midst of the world, even with all of the shaking, even with all of the uncertainty, even with all of the pain. God, we thank you that you're at work. God, would you break our hearts, would you come into our places of comfort, and would you disrupt us where we need to be disrupted? God, would you ground our lives in humility and hope, and then would you send us out with courage in clarity to be a part of whatever you want to do. Lord, would you be the one that drives that timeline? Would you give us the specifics? And would you help us to walk that path with perseverance until we see you face to face, King Jesus? May your kingdom come, may your will be done in Nashville, across the United States, and across the world as it is in heaven for your glory and your glory alone. In the name of Jesus, amen.